morning everyone and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. Our service this morning will be led by Katrina, but we'll also hear the voices of Emma, Katrina H, Alistair, Jeff and Brian. Our musician this morning is Paul. And in just a moment, Tamara will be lighting our candle this morning. Then this evening at 7pm, we will mark World Leprosy Day in our evening reflection, and I'll be leading that service. But now it's over to Tamara to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is a light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day. as we gather, we come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. We come to you, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. The one in whom all things are held in perfect love and endless compassion. As we come, we enter the mystery of faith, where certainty and doubt may coexist where we may pray with confidence, even as we experience confusion. We give thanks for the simple everyday blessings of shelter, warmth and food. And for the moments when we have been surprised by your generosity. We name the struggles we faced and the questions we have asked, assured that you will listen carefully 
never dismissing our concerns as too small or unimportant. We confess the sins, failings and regrets of recent days, asking not only for forgiveness, but for the courage to live as forgiven people. We come as those who are trying to follow Jesus in all we are and all we do, seeking to better understand what that means for our daily lives. Assured that your spirit is with us and within us, we pray that in this time together, we may each find welcome and hospitality, discover new insights and be refreshed for the challenges of discipleship. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
reading from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I am also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one from whom he cancelled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. past few weeks we've been taking a rather rapid overview look at the Gospel of Luke. We began by looking at some of the prophetic statements, those of Mary, his mother of Jesus, Zachariah and Simeon, and in fact Jesus himself quoting the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue in his hometown. We thought about the importance of prayer in Jesus' own life and his guidelines for others who wanted to pray and how that echoed the way he prayed himself. 
And then last week, we focused on how Jesus called and chose those who would continue his work. What he asked them to think about him weighing up the cost, but perhaps especially how he prepared them, the kind of training and on the job experience that they got. You can't study Luke's gospel and not pick up an important theme that runs all the way through it, which is that this is good news for all people everywhere. This is a gospel that has an emphasis on justice for those who are on the margins, those who are excluded, about liberation for those who are held captive, whether literally or metaphorically, about the restoration of wholeness for those who are wounded or broken. And right at the start of the gospel, we see Jesus and his disciples have a number of encounters, which I'm going to use as case studies as we think about this idea of an ethic of welcome and hospitality. These might be the ways, um, examples where Jesus illustrated to his followers what it meant to live the way he lived, to live out the, the gospel that he was proclaiming. And the first of these encounters, or is it a non-encounter, takes place in Capernaum. This one um, is kind of done at a distance and it is a planned encounter. A centurion sends some of his friends to go and see Jesus with a message. So a centurion is a powerful man. He's a foreigner. He's not one of the local people. He's somebody who has come in as a result of his work. But it does appear that he is a kind man and he's well liked because he has actually funded the building of the synagogue. And in Luke's gospel, we're told that he has a valued slave who is so ill that they are at the point of death. There is a parallel story in the gospel of Matthew that uses a different Greek word rather than a slave, the person could be a servant, could be a child, or could be a boy, in inverted commas. Uh, the word that's used could be used to refer to a young man that the, the centurion would take as a lover. So maybe one of the first things that strikes me as I reflect on the story in Luke, but also aware of its parallel in Matthew, is the danger of labelling people of getting hung up on whether this was a slave or a servant or a child or a lover or whatever they may have been. Because if we label people, we can so easily other them. We can respond to the label, not the individual person. But also in this story, we see something else. We see a person who is highly, highly um, powerful, is probably well-educated, but still fears being rejected, feel, still feels unworthy to approach Jesus himself. He sends other people. He sends Jewish people to this Jewish teacher. He doesn't feel as a Roman, a foreigner, a person who does not share their faith, at least openly, that he's able to go to Jesus. So there is something else here, isn't there, about our own fear of rejection, 
no matter who we are. Perhaps about imposter syndrome, that we're never going to be good enough to come into the presence of Jesus. We fear rejection, we fear ridicule, whatever it may be. But Jesus hears the people who bring him the message and he goes. But even as he gets to the house, the Roman centurion won't come out and meet him. Maybe he's still afraid of rejection. Maybe he's still not quite sure it's okay for him to come to Jesus. So he sends somebody else and says, you know, I'm a man under authority. I tell people what to do and they do it. And and I believe that of you. And Jesus says, I've never found faith like this among my own people. Sometimes it is those right on the outside who bring new insights, who have depth of faith and understanding that can be quite amazing and beyond that of those who've been around a long time. And so as we look at this story, I wonder how it felt for the disciples when this crowd came and said, well, you come to the house of of, of a centurion, when this person in the centurion's house, who they could so easily label one way or another, was ill. I wonder how it felt for them when Jesus commended that centurion for his faith. But also, I wonder how it felt for the centurion. Here was somebody who listened, who came, who didn't reject him. In fact, somebody who even commended him for his faith. And what about the slave or the servant or the child or the lover or whoever it was? How did they feel that this person who was so holy and respected, cared enough about them to bring them wholeness. I wonder how is this a story about welcome and a story about hospitality? And then possibly a couple of days later, certainly next in Luke's sequence and about 30 miles away, 50 kilometres away in a town called Nain, we have what seems to have been a chance encounter. Jesus and his disciples are going into the town and there coming the other way is a funeral procession. We've no idea whether it was large or small, but quite probably small. A widow, those who carry the beer and on the bier, the wrapped up body of her dead son, her only son. We don't know anything about them. We don't know how old they were. But if you look in picture Bibles, you will usually find that the widow is portrayed as a very elderly woman and her son as an adult of relatively young years. But there probably is an implication that there was no other family. This was one woman and one son, no children, nobody else to take care of her. So she risked poverty and destitution, even as a person of a faith that actually said in its law that they should take care of widows and orphans. These were the expectations 
but not the reality. Jesus sees this woman who is undoubtedly distraught coming out of the town to go and bury her son and it moves him deeply. He reaches out to her and he tells her not to cry. And at one level, that, that sounds almost trite, doesn't it? Don't cry. But actually, in those words, I think what Jesus is saying is this isn't the end. But he does something else utterly shocking. He reaches out and touches the bier on which the young man is being carried. This is an absolute taboo for somebody who is remotely holy because this will render him unclean until nightfall. He won't be able to do anything religious until nightfall. So he literally gets involved in touching that which is deemed unclean. And of course he speaks and the young man is restored. And we mustn't get ourselves hung up on whether the man was just in a deep sleep or a deep coma or whether he was actually dead. That's really not helpful to try and demythologize this story. What we have is a story of desperation, a widow who has nothing left, who should be looked after, but who won't be. And Jesus reaches out to her. So again, how might his followers have felt when that event took place? especially if they were still mulling over the events with the centurion. How might that widow have felt in her isolation and desolation that somebody even noticed her, never mind got involved? How might the young man have felt when he woke up and saw what was going on? How is this also a story of welcome and hospitality? If you happen to have been following the reading in your Bible, you'll notice that I skipped over a little bit where messengers are sent from John the Baptist to try and check out what's going on. And that's an interesting passage, but I've deliberately chosen to admit, omit it today and move on to a third encounter. And this is one where Jesus is invited into the home of somebody who is highly religious and deeply respected, the home of a Pharisee. Again, this is a story that occurs or very similar stories occur in other gospels. This one actually appears in both Matthew and Mark. And it is possible, even probable, that this Pharisee, Simon, was a leper at least in inverted commas, somebody who had a skin disease that pushed him beyond the bounds of religious practice. Whether that's actually the same story or not, it's not so important. We have here a person who knew what it meant to be a man of faith, and he invited Jesus, and he was curious to meet Jesus. And for some reason that we're not told, he doesn't offer Jesus the basic hospitality of welcome. He doesn't greet him with a kiss, which would be completely normal in his culture. He doesn't offer him any 
water to wash his feet. I do find myself wondering why that is. Is it potentially because Simon is a leper and therefore would be unclean and maybe have chosen not to? Or is it that he was just so excited at having Jesus under his roof that he forgot? Or is he cavalier or careless or even just rude? We don't know. But we know that Jesus came in and was not greeted as he might reasonably have been expected to be treated. And then this woman turns up, a woman, as we might say in our context, with a past. We don't really know anything about her. But what she does is utterly outrageous by the social mores of her context. She comes up behind Jesus. She starts to cry and her tears fall onto his feet and she washes his feet with her tears in a hugely intimate and personal act. Takes down her hair or maybe her hair wasn't already up if she was woman of a certain expectation and starts to dry his feet with her hair. And then she breaks open this perfume and lavishes it on his feet. And Jesus seems not only to let this happen, but to be quite happy for it to happen. Maybe he is even enjoying it happening to him. And Simon becomes very uncomfortable at this point. And he thinks, you know, if this man was really holy, he would know what was going on here. And so Jesus tells him this strange little story about two debtors. And of course, as, as Simon answers, he kind of realises where this places him as the one who has apparently needed little forgiveness and therefore has little love. But actually, I'm curious as to what the disciples might have been thinking all this when all this was going on when the woman came up and lavished her love on Jesus and when Jesus said to her your sins are forgiven we're told that this caused quite a stir um, amongst those who were present how can he possibly be forgiving sins this man but how did the woman feel this woman who had a past this woman who perhaps had been forced to sell her body to put food on the table. This woman who had perhaps been abused or trafficked. We know nothing about her. Too easily we fall into the trap of labelling her. But here she found a man who accepted her attention and didn't interpret it as sexual, but rather as living and a man who somehow could look into her soul and say, all that past is gone, because he welcomed her. And how did Simon the Pharisee feel? Did he feel embarrassed that he had somehow not understood? Did he find new insight and new understanding? Did he find forgiveness and healing and release? And how is this also a story about welcome and hospitality?
we've heard three stories and between them there are six main characters. In each story, there are people who are at the edge or beyond the boundaries of nice, polite, devout Jewish society. And in each encounter, motivated by his ethic of love, Jesus sees people. People who are human beings made in the image and likeness of God. People of unique worth. People worthy of love, welcome, acceptance. And in each of these stories, each of these encounters, he gives an example of what it was he meant back in that Nazareth synagogue when he had asserted that he was a fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy about good news for the poor, freedom for those held in captivity, sight for those who could not see, release for those who were experiencing oppression. But it wasn't a one-size-fits-all. He responded uniquely and individually to each situation. The motivation was the same, but the response was individual. And I would say that every single one of those three stories is a story of welcome and hospitality. Jesus welcomed others, and indeed others welcomed him. He showed hospitality to them and drew them into something very special. And so I do find myself wondering, as I look at those stories, and as I glimpse Jesus at work, welcoming, accepting, loving, and healing in some measure, if healing means bringing wholeness, each of these six very different people. And I wonder what through that God might be saying to us, to us as individuals and to us as a community. So I'm not going to give you the answers to that because I'm not very good at giving answers, but I am going to give you some questions that you might like to ponder. And I want to start with the personal. So think about these six people that we've met very briefly today. A centurion. Somebody who was a slave or a servant or a child or a boy lover. A widow. A dead son. A Pharisee called Simon, who may or may not have had a skin disease. And a woman with a past bringing a jar of perfume. Of those six, which is the one with whom I identify most? Not going to be perfect, but which one most feels a little bit like me? And what does that say about our own need of acceptance, welcome and healing from Jesus? 
Because if you are the least bit like me, you're always going to need a bit of welcome, acceptance and healing from Jesus. But also of these six, who is the least like me? Who makes me feel the most uncomfortable? Who am I unsure about? And what might that say to me about my need to welcome, accept and love others? Those are difficult and challenging questions and they won't be answered in three seconds, but they may be worth taking away and thinking about some more. One of the things I really love about Hillhead, and I have loved it from the moment I first walked in the door all those years ago, is our aspiration to be inclusive and welcoming to all who come to us, to accept each other as we are, to listen to each other's stories and to learn with and from each other. And that isn't just a nice wishy-washy Christian politeness. It's not a sort of gloss that just leaves all sorts of stuff unsaid and unknown. Actually, it's really demanding because we commit to journey together, allowing people, perhaps those especially on the margins, to say, actually, you didn't get it right there. That word you used, that phrase you used made me feel excluded or undermined or undervalued or whatever it may be. We let people say to us, actually, you fell short here. And hopefully we also encourage each other when we get it right, when actually we do feel able to name who we are or be who we are in a way that we have not been able to before. We seek to welcome, accept and offer hospitality to each other so that we can learn and grow, so that we can discover who we truly are, and so that individually and collectively we may experience the healing and wholeness that only Christ can bring. And so the last question to take away and ponder, as we seek to live as disciples of Jesus, how may we together write our own ongoing story of welcome and hospitality.
community here at Hillhead is part of the body of Christ. It is towards us that people may come seeking hope and healing, believing that the healing of Christ is to be found here. Will we, through our welcome and hospitality, fulfill that expectation or disappoint? Will we, in our welcome, be open to new insights that they bring? We dream of a world which is so close to God that transforming healing and hope is possible. What would it look like? What would change around us? Perhaps we might let these questions linger in our minds as we continue to listen to God through our worship, listening now through our prayers for others and for ourselves. Let us pray. Almost every week, our prayers will focus on some part of the world where there is a humanitarian crisis, an armed conflict, the consequences of a natural disaster, economic and social problems. Often these places can seem and are far away. But the latest evolution of the tension in Ukraine feels very close. Muscular world powers seek to preserve or extend spheres of influence. We are apprehensive. We are all afraid of what might happen and what the unintended consequences might be. This crisis is not just close to us geographically. It directly affects those in our Hillhead community whose homelands may experience differing but direct effects of unintended consequences. And so we pray, particularly this morning, for Lena and the people of Lithuania, for Pirio, Petri, and the people of Finland, for George and the people of Hungary, and also for Tamara, Marit, and the people of Germany, which may find itself at the centre of a sanctions war. On Wednesday, Pope Francis, with a special appeal at the end of his weekly general audience, prayed for Ukraine. Please never again war. May our prayer and invocations to the heavens touch the hearts and minds of those responsible on earth 
may they make dialogue prevail and that the good of all be put before the interests of one side. Elsewhere in the world, BMS World Mission this week has a focus on Nepal. This week we're encouraged to pray for Angus and Helen Douglas at the International Nepal Fellowship, that their work will help bring life in all its fullness to the poor and marginalised. We're asked to give thanks that despite lockdowns, Joy Ransom, who of course is our mission partner here at Hillhead, has been able to provide phonics and early years training and resources to primary teachers in rural schools in Nepal. Here in Scotland, our Baptist Union of Scotland prayer rotor for this week encourages us to remember our congregations at Bells Hill, who ask that we continue to remember the outreach from the church and in particular the work of the cafe. And at Bones, who ask that we pray for them as they seek to be salt and light in the town. They ask for renewed strength and energy for the church in the year ahead. And for ourselves here at Hillhead, our prayer rota for this week encourages us to remember the managers and trustees and office holders of our fellowship. Nazi, Sal, Nikan and Nikiar. Lilius and family, Marit and Tom, Alan, Edith and Tom, Bethany, Emma and Drew, Jane S and Wendy. And for our Hillhead community as a whole, we give thanks for each other and for the times when we have found inspiration in each other. We do aspire to be a community in which all are welcome and a people who provide hospitality and a safe place to truly find our worth made in Christ's own mould. May we support and encourage each other in this mission. Amen.
May the God who welcomes and accepts us just as we are, the Christ who loves us enough to call us to the challenges of discipleship, and the Spirit who enables us to live out the gospel of healing and hope, bless us with courage and confidence for the days ahead. Amen. <laughs>